Welcome to the Hedgemaker Broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. The life of Christ has always been quite a challenge for me to study and preach. And of course, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. We've been zeroing, of course, in on the theme through the book of Mark of service. We are in these last couple of chapters of the Gospel of Mark, and these are events that take place during the last week of Christ's life. Mark, of course, does not record all of the events. None of the Gospels record all of the events of that last week. And there's different scenarios of how and when the events took place, depending on when you put the crucifixion, or what day of the week you put that. If you follow my scheme of Christ being crucified on a Wednesday, then that shortens the week quite a bit. You have uh, Palm Sunday, you have Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday to squeeze all of the events in. But I was thinking as we were studying, we're not looking at all of the events. We're just looking at the Gospel of Mark. But even in the Gospel of Mark, we've been seeing some things happen rather rapidly throughout those couple of days, and it's like one event follows another. I think this, we call it the Passion Week, this week uh, of the life of Christ is, like we say sometimes, when trouble comes, it comes in in groups. Uh, when it rains, it pours. So the Lord was not only bombarded with the trauma of the cross, but all of these preliminary events, accusing him, falsely accusing him. And then, of course, once he was captured, the various trials the six different trials, three political and three religious trials, but these various attempts to get him into trouble. If you do back up to uh, our passage here, we don't have it here in Mark, and let me see, I think it is the chief priests and elders. It's Matthew chapter 21, which we don't have recorded in Mark. They come to the Lord and try to get him in trouble. We do have here in Mark, Mark chapter 12 and verse number 13, where the Pharisees and the Herodians try to catch him in his words. And we talked about that passage last week. Today, we're going to look at Mark 12 and verse number 18. Then come unto him the Sadducees, another group of people, which, of course, say there is no resurrection. We've often said, you know, they don't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see they would be classified as the liberals of the day, even though, in my opinion, the Pharisees were liberals. So, which one was conservative, which one was liberal? Both of them were theologically liberal. (laughs) Politically and religiously, I guess the Pharisees would be more conservative than the Sadducees. But the Sadducees did not believe, basically, did not believe the Scriptures. And they did not believe in the resurrection. It tells us that here in verse number 18. And so they're asking him, saying, 
Master, Moses wrote unto us, If a man's brother die and leave his wife behind and leave no children, that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now, there were seven brethren, and the first took a wife, and dying left no seed. And the second took her and died, neither left he any seed, and the third likewise, and the seven had her. So they went through each one of the brothers, from the oldest evidently down into the seventh one. And all of them died. Last of all, the woman died also. Now here's the question. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise... Now they don't believe in the resurrection. But they're saying, in the resurrection. We want to show you, Jesus, that the resurrection does not exist. That's their thought behind it. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. They, like the previous group of the Pharisees and the Herodians, thought they had him caught. But, of course, you can't catch Jesus. You can't catch him in any wrongdoing, because there is no wrongdoing. So Jesus answered, verse 24, And said unto them, Do ye not therefore err, because ye know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God? And when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry, nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. And as touching the dead, that they rise, have ye not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were dead, but God was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were living. Their bodies were dead, but their souls were very much alive. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. So we want to talk about the servant and the resurrection tonight. And there's a series of questions that have been asked here in this gospel record. I want to give you the physical reality of the resurrection, the spiritual reality of it, and the personal reality of it. Now, the Sadducees, of course, are the background to this. And they do not believe in the resurrection. They denied it. They scoffed at it. They thought it was non-existent. And so they are using Moses' law. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 25. And what they're using is called the leverate. L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E. The leverate law. It comes from the Latin lever. L-E-V-I-R, which means husband's brother, husband's brother. Deuteronomy chapter 25 had this. It is also a part of the Islamic tradition and some of the other Eastern cultures. But God put it in here to the Old Testament for the Israelites as well. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 and 6. Now, we're not under the law. I don't think that my wife would like to be married to my brother's. If I were to die childless, we have children, so she's off the hook. But this law said, well, let's read it. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, If brethren dwell together, and one of them die, and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger, her husband's brother, Latin is lever, L-E-V-I-R, uh, her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife, 
and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. It shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. So the law was there so that a family name continues. And the inference would also be that property could be passed along to this firstborn son. Uh, so that, uh, you know, the family name would continue and the property holdings would be kept with the family. That seemed to be a big thing in the nation of Israel. This law was, you can see it in a number of situations. Tamar, forget to whom she was married, one of Jacob's sons was a Judah, and he died and she asked for the next son and he wouldn't give her to him, so she played the harlot and actually enticed him. And anyway, and it's also kind of a part of uh, uh, similar to the Ruth and Boaz story. The brother did have an out on this. If he didn't want to marry this girl, then he would take off his shoe and uh, at a ceremonial uh, place. And so in the story of Ruth and Boaz, there was a near kinsman, nearer than Boaz. And so they presented the issue to him, and he took off his shoe. He didn't want that responsibility, and Boaz, of course, did. So it's a, a practice that was done. Uh, anyway, so this is evidently a true story that there were seven, seven brothers that all died successively, and each of them had the same woman successively as their wife. And, you know, whether it uh, uh, actually did happen that way or if they're making this up for the purpose of argument, either way. So their question is, okay, who, if you believe in the resurrection, Lord, what happens to this woman in the resurrection? Who is she married to in the resurrection? Well, let's look, first of all, at the physical reality of the resurrection. The resurrection is often questioned, like the Sadducees are doing. The liberals do that. They, what they'll do with it today is they will think of the resurrection in not a literal, physical, bodily resurrection, but in some kind of a spiritual, allegorical picture type of a thing. Things that are resurrected get new life. And so it's like turning over the new leaf at the new year or something to that effect. And so a spiritual renewal or something along that line. Well, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is literal. The resurrection, the possibility of a resurrection is real. It's a physical reality. And that physical reality is based on two things. Look what Jesus says here in Mark chapter 12. And verse number 23-24. Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err? Because, two things, you know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God. The resurrection, the physical reality of the resurrection is based on the power of God to res raise the dead and the record of Scripture that people were raised from the dead. So he's saying to these Sadducees, you do not know the power of God, you do not know the Scriptures of God. Let's talk about the Scriptures. You do not know the Scriptures. And the Scriptures are plain. They're clear. They leave no doubt there, that there is 
a spiritual world and a resurrection of the dead. You can read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to find that out. But let me, these verses I'm going to quote for you are pretty familiar. And so I'm going to give you the reference and then uh, read them and emphasize the part of them. There's three that I'm going to give you from the Old Testament. And then Jesus, of course, taught about the resurrection. The Apostle Paul taught about the resurrection. So we do have the record of Scripture. Now, in uh, Jesus' day, they would have had only the Old Testament Scriptures. Like Job 19, verses 25 through 27, If this is amazing to me, because if Job is first book chronologically that was written, Job would predate Moses. He says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. That's the resurrection. Job believed in a bodily, literal, physical resurrection. Uh, Yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another though my reins be consumed within me. That's Job 19, verses 25 through 27. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 26 and verse number 19, the prophet Isaiah prophesied, Thy dead men shall live. That's the resurrection. Together with my dead body shall they rise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. That's the resurrection. The earth shall cast out the dead, and dead men shall live. And then in Daniel chapter 12, in verse number 2, Daniel prophesied, Many of them that sleep in the dust shall awake. That's the resurrection. Shall awake. Some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Daniel 12, 2. Now, the Jews, uh, the Sadducees here in Jesus' day, would not have had the written record yet of this, but they could have heard many of these things spoken by the Lord. John the Apostle, who writes, well, he writes the book of Revelation in uh, 95 AD, so I'm assuming he is writing his uh, gospel um, a little bit later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In John 5, Uh, Verse 25, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. The dead shall live. That's the resurrection. Also in John 5 and verse 28 and 29, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all they that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. That's the resurrection. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. There, in that passage, Jesus uses the very word, resurrection. In John chapter 6, verse 40, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. John 11, when Jesus is speaking to Mary Martha about Lazarus, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And then the apostles preached the resurrection. So the Sadducees in Jesus' day would not have known about this preaching of the apostles. 
but they surely could have heard Jesus' words as are recorded there in the Gospel of John. But in Acts 24:15, Paul is preaching here, I believe, at the end of the book of Acts, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow that there be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Paul preached the resurrection in the book of Romans 8:11. but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body by his spirit that dwelleth in you. And of course, the 1 Corinthians 15 passage, just one verse from there, 15 verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. In 2 Corinthians 4.14, Paul says, Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also. So there's the resurrection of Christ, there's also the resurrection of the believer, and shall present us with you. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, we're talking about the rapture. We call it the rapture. The word rapture is not found in the Bible, but 1 Thessalonians 4.16, the Lord himself should descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So the resurrection is taught many places in the scriptures, and we haven't exhausted all of that. Let me give you three reasons why a person may not know the scriptures. Jesus said to these Sadducees, you do err not knowing the scriptures. Why is it that people do not know the scriptures? One, they haven't studied the scriptures. They really haven't studied the scriptures. And you can take that several ways. They haven't ever looked at it or they've looked at it and really haven't studied it. Two, they reject what they do read. They reject it. Of course, that's unbelief. And three, they don't take it literally, like many of the liberals today. They really can't deny that there is a resurrection. It's in the Bible. But they will deny a physical, literal, bodily resurrection and say it's a spiritual thing. It's something that has to do with turning over a new leaf or renewing your life or... Uh, becoming born again in that fashion. Newness. Well, that's a rejection of, of the literal teaching of Scripture regarding the matter of the Scriptures. Then Jesus also said you do err because you don't know the power of God. The power of God is the basis for the resurrection. Without the power of God, there is no resurrection. And so he says you do err because you do not know the power of God. What are three reasons why people would not know the power of God? Well, they could be ignorant of God, not know God. Kind of like the Athenians, we talked about this morning during Sunday school. Paul said, I'm going to tell you about this unknown God. He's a God of power, ignorant of God. You do not believe the power of God, or you believe the power of God, but you don't really believe in it so that his power has power. <laughs> his power is weak. Now, we're going to introduce the next thing. We talked about the physical reality of the resurrection, the spiritual reality of the resurrection. It's not really a statement that Jesus is making here in Mark chapter 12, but because of the reality of the resurrection, of the physical resurrection, it is also a spiritual thing. We're not trying to spiritualize it or allegorize it, but our thought is, Jesus is saying to them, you do err because you do not know the Scriptures, neither do you know the power of God. You can't really know the truth until you have been regenerated by the truth. You've got to be born again. So you have a physical world and a spiritual world. The idea of the spiritual world is perplexing to the natural man. 
the natural man, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, uh, doesn't perceive the things of God. Things of God are spiritual. They want to put everything onto a physical plane. Right? Now, Jesus does that, like with the woman at the well. He's going to talk to her about living water. That's spiritual water. But in order to get there, he talks about physical water. He did it with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, I want to talk to you about spiritual rebirth. But let me introduce that by talking to you about physical birth. There's a physical world and there is a spiritual world. There's a spiritual unseen dimension. The natural man does not understand those things. He cannot know about the spiritual world. God alone must reveal the reality of the spiritual dimension. They are blinded, so they need to know that. So, let's talk about the spiritual reality of the resurrection. The resurrection is different from any earthly experience. We've not gone through the resurrection, so we don't know what it's like. But it's different from any other earthly experience. It's got its own dimension. It's in a different world. Now, what the Sadducees were doing by denying the resurrection, many other people do by saying there's not a resurrection, but there is a reincarnation. And I don't really fully understand a person's thinking when they believe and teach about reincarnation. But I think it's a subtle denial of the reality of both the physical resurrection and the reality of the spiritual. There's a tendency to mesh those all together so that it's confused. And I think that's what, in my opinion, what uh, the doctrine of reincarnation tries to do. I mean, because if you think about it, okay, let's suppose there is such a thing about reincarnation. That's still sort of a physical thing, but there's a spiritual entity to that because you get to become something else. How does that work? Nobody really knows that. That's a mystery amongst those who believe and teach about reincarnation. So we've kind of done the same. In our world today, we've done the same thing. What the question was, by the Sadducees, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? And Jesus says, you err because you don't know the Scriptures, nor do you know the power of God. Now, verse 25. For when they shall rise from the dead. Okay, so there is the reality of it. They neither marry nor are given in marriage. That's physical. That's what we do in this realm. That's what we do in this dimension. In that dimension, we don't do that. But are as the angels which are in heaven. So let me give you two thoughts here. This future life and the relationships that will be there will exceed the earthly relationships. You know, we, we often think about the, the marriage relationship and my wife has said it that she wants her cottage to be next to mine. And we're not going to be given in marriage, so in heaven, but it's going to be far greater than what we have here. So the dimension of life in the spiritual realm is higher. It's not anything like what we're doing now. It's different. We really can't explain it. 
So the bond of marital relationship is not there. The strong union and bond of marriage will not be less. It will be greater and stronger because now we're all in the family of God. I don't understand all that, but it's the spiritual relationship. It's better. It exceeds far better. So I think what he's saying here, what Jesus is saying is, they don't give in marriage, but are as the angels. And we take that oftentimes to say, well, the angels are not married. And that may or may not be the case, and or couldn't have cohabited with the daughters of men back there in Genesis 6. That may be the case. But it also might mean that we don't have this physical relationship of marriage. It is a new dimension, something different. You don't understand these things. Jesus is talking to the uh, Sadducees. Also, we've discovered that this future life and the relationships that we have with one another will be equal to that that is experienced by the angels and by God. What happens is, Heavenly life and relationships will be perfected. You can take the best marriage in this life and it still has problems. What God is saying is when we get to heaven, the relationship we have with one another will be perfect. No sin, no egos, no misunderstandings, perfection. That's the way the angels relate to God. And God relates to the angels. And then, this heavenly life and relationship will be eternal. In this life, we have marriage, and people are married for 40 years, 50 years, whatever, and somebody dies. Or less than that. And there's a party. Sometimes people get remarried. In heaven, the relationship we have with one another and with the Lord Jesus Christ will be eternal. No breaking ending of those relationships. No dying. No separation. Everyone will always love each other. No falling out of love with one another. No getting out of sorts with one another in heaven. So you do err, not knowing the scriptures of the power of God, and you do err because you don't understand this new relationship, this spiritual realm. There is a spiritual reality now, we have some dangers when we think about these things. We can materialize heaven and humanize eternal life. We can conceive of heaven to be nothing more than a glorified world. I think it's much, much more than that. And we can conceive of eternal life to be nothing more than physical life plus a little more. Now, we're transformed. We end up with a new body, Eventually, the Lord creates a new heaven and a new earth. Heaven and eternal life are far better than just materializing heaven. And then we can also idealize heaven and allegorize spiritual life. We can think of heaven as a little more than an ideal land for which we should seek and toward which we should direct our lives. Now, we do read about Abraham. He looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. Yes, there is that. And we do read about the streets of gold and the, the mansions and the different things like that. We can also think of eternal life as little more than a utopian dream of an infinite quality. And we can think of it as uh, floating around and 
being free of trouble and trials, those are all nice thoughts, but again, it's much, much more than that. It's a real place. The teaching of Scripture is that heaven has a spiritual dimension to it. We know the liberal says there is no hell. Well, what do they think about heaven? Is that real? Or is that just this idealized world, this utopian society? What do they really think about that? And we have the tendency to think that way too, because all we know is the physical, what we see. We know of three dimensions, right? Is there a fourth and maybe possibly even a fifth dimension in heaven? I mean, it's indescribable. We don't know what is going to be there with all of that. And of course, I'm thinking in physical terms even when I'm saying that, right? It's a spiritual dimension. How do you describe that? So the resurrection has a physical reality to it, a spiritual reality to it, and a personal reality to it. It is real. This is Dr. Lee Hennice, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached the church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again. <laughs>